Good morning and good afternoon. Welcome to another episode of Before Coffee. We're ready. We're a little slow today, but that's okay because we've been doing stuff in our lives and we're not always ready to go. So let's go ahead and read our first news stories. Okay. Day on Before Coffee. Almost a thousand more cars on board burning freighter. Location stable. And the Fed live, lifts rates because that's all they know how to do. Ukraine steps up counteroffensive with new push south around Bakhmut. And we remember Sinead O'Connor by vindicating her life. Italian Parliament approves bill to criminalize surrogacy abroad. And we re-vindicate Sinead O'Connor as Portugal is starting the atoning process for clergy sex abuse. And that's what we're covering today on July 27th, 2023 edition of Before Coffee. Right, we're here. Here, we're gonna reset our music and turn off the other. Oh no, that's fine. We can leave it on. Okay, let's start with the first news story about the local. I guess it's local. Burning freighter in the North Sea. This is from NOS News. Almost when uh, the burning cargo sh- sh- ship north of Amaland has about 1,000 more cars on board than previously reported. Okay. So I love when something bad happens and then they're like, whoops, there's some data we needed. In concerns, it concerns 3,783 cars. The Japanese shipping company K Line told the German news agency DPA. Earlier, the number was 2,857. The situation with the ship, the Fremantle Highway, is much the same as the last night. The fire has not been extinguished and the ship is still afloat. The tugboat has an emergency connection to the ship, so we can keep it in position, says Edwin Kronemann of the Coast Guard in the NOS Radio 1 Journal. It is extremely hot on board, says Kronemann. There are still fires and smoke. Later this morning, a Coast Guard plane will take to the air to check whether the temperature on the board has dropped. The salvage company wants to go on board with staff to see what the state of the affairs is and what needs to be done further. According to Hanuman, it could take days before the fire is extinguished. The crisis team of Coast Guard and recovery companies is meeting today to discuss various scenarios. The big fear is that the ship will capsize and sink. That could mean part of the cargo floats towards Wadden Islands. It is a World Heritage Area, and that could be damaged if very strange toxic products were to end up there, says Mayor Stuhl von Ameland yesterday. The mayor once again emphasized how important it is to pay attention to the safety of this type of shipping in the Wadden area. We have already spoken out about, cons- about the concerns about the route that is being sailed. There is a northern and southern route. Stuhl and the other Wadden mayors would prefer to see the southern route disappear. 
The further from Waden Islands, the less risks and the more time to intervene if something goes wrong. So the Waden Islands are, I believe, the almost like sandbar islands, right? Just the wind created, yeah, silt and sand sandbar islands. So they're not made from volcanoes or hard rock. They're made just from the northern sea swiping water over billions of years until they're like a nice sand hill that people live on that grew dirt. But in, it's silt-based, sand-based, so they are very sensitive, especially if, I don't know, a giant, a bunch of cars crashed in a way, I think. <laughs> but I don't think that will happen. I don't think the cars are like, you know, no, burned a hole into the freaking deck or whatever and are just coming out of a hole into the water. I don't think that's gonna happen because it is a metal ship, but that's what they're worried about, I guess. And we will see what happens with that update in the future because right now they're just like, there's a fire and it's really hot so nobody can go up there because they'll probably get sunburned and burned to death if anyone steps on the deck. So... We'll see what happens. I don't I don't think any deaths have been reported. It's just some cars. Oh, 3,000 cars. Go ahead with your next story. Are you muted? Because I can't hear you. And I was muted. Yes. <laughs> I wasn't saying much anyway. All right. Fed lifts rates. Powell leaves door open for another hike in September. This is from Reuters and the reporters Howard Schneider and Michael S. Derby. I ran a horse in the Michael S. Derby one year. <laughs> the Federal Reserve raised interest rates by a quarter of a percentage point on Wednesday, and Fed Chair Jerome Powell said that the economy still needed to slow. Uh, it, and the labor market to weaken for inflation to credibly return to the U.S. Central Bank's 2% target. Again, he thinks he's controlling inflation by doing this. This is just keeps blowing my mind. I, I, <laughs> you're raising prices. How is that controlling inflation? All you're doing is throwing people out of work. Are trying to. The hike, the Fed's 11 to the last 12 meetings, set the benchmark overnight interest rate at five and half to 5.5 percent range at least seen just prior to the 2007 housing market crash which has been consistently exceeded for about 22 years so they keep raising rates because it's the only tool they got and if they raise rates that means they can keep lowering them later that's the theory if we raise them so high that we really have a tool to lower like to, to fight to keep the economy going by lowering and that this it's silly it's just you yeah. keep thinking that you're messing with the economy is the problem here we're not messing with the economy the enough huh? it's like thinking you're controlling the weather yeah they think yeah we must be doing something we must be doing something they keep saying Powell made no promises either way. With a September meeting eight weeks from now considered live for another rate increase, though a continued slowing of inflation and weaker economic data may also prompt policymakers to pause. In a press conference following the Fred's, Fred, the Fed's latest policy move, 
The Fed chair said that the central bank was very much looking at the totality of incoming data and particularly studying it for signs that the economy is heading for a period of below trend growth that Powell thinks necessary for inflation to fall. Key price measures are still increasing at more than double the Fed's target. While inflation has been easing, there is so far it happened with little apparent costs in the labor market where the unemployment rate remains at a low 3.6%. See, that's what he's doing. He's looking at that and going, we need more unemployment. Economic growth has remained above the Fed's estimated 1.8% trend rate. Economics pulled by Reuters expect data on Thursday will still second quarter gross domestic product expanded at just that level. So 1.8% is kind of a... Uh, the economic growth is, is decent but not great. We're not in a recession. So probably shouldn't leave interest rates alone, but they can't help themselves. Powell acknowledged as, as a positive development that inflation has fallen from the highs of last year without serious damage to the economy. But as the Fed enters a tricky period in its inflation fight, balancing the need for further rate increases against the risk of going too far, he said finishing the task on inflation will likely require some economic losses. Okay, this guy has an idea in his head that there's a finish line. <laughs> Uh, that's funny. There's a finish line. Where? Where? Where's the finish line? Okay, there's no finish line in economics. There's always tomorrow. My base case is that we will be able to achieve inflation moving back down to our target without a really significant downturn that results in high-level job losses. But you're creating job losses. Yeah. But it's a long way to be sure, and we have a lot left. Reducing inflation is likely to require a period at the low trend growth instead of softening labor market conditions. You did not cause inflation. You cannot reduce it if you didn't cause it. Err. Corporate greed caused inflation. Period. As, As started it after it's Right. As started after its meeting last month, the Fed said it would watch incoming data and study the impact of its rate hikes on the economy. Oh, let's experiment with people's lives some more. And in determining the extent of additional policy filming that the appropriate reaches inflation target. Meanwhile, everybody's mortgages go up and this guy sits around and looks at some charts and goes, yeah, not enough people are out of work. Uh, I, I'm... I'm, I'm tired of rationalization in this story. Your story, the rationalization just kills me. Okay. <laughs> what we're doing is working. We should do it some more. You're not doing anything that's working, dude. The inflation's coming down on its own. <laughs> You're uh, all idiots. As usual, Robert, no, uh, Ro Robert. Roger knows best and everyone else is an idiot. Okay, there you go. Okay. <laughs> that's oversimplification, but thank you. Uh, in you in a Ukraine war updates, they're pushing their counteroffensive south. This is from Peter Beaumont and Julian Borger in Washington. Ukraine forces have stepped up their counteroffensives after two months of grueling incremental gains, mounting a new push in the south of the country while edging closer to the fiercely contested eastern city of Bakhmut. 
The New York Times cited unnamed Pentagon officials as saying the main thrust of the counteroffensive had now begun, with the Ukrainian army pouring thousands of Western trained and equipped reinforcements into a perceived weak spot in Russian defenses in the Zaporizhia region. However, the Washington Post reported that a U.S. official expressed caution in drawing the conclusions that the main counteroffensive has begun. We are seeing signs of a preparatory move for additional forces in the area to come into the fight, but it's not clear what the purpose of these moves may be. The unnamed official was quoted saying, Early on Wednesday, Igor Konashenko, the Russian Defense Minister's chief spokesperson, described a massive attack in fierce battles south of the settlement or Kiev, but said the attack had been repelled. However, the Russian military blogger Rybar described an attack by more than 80 armored vehicles, including tanks, infantry, fighting vehicles, armored personnel carriers, and combat vehicles, adding that Ukrainian forces had managed to penetrate in three areas amid fierce battles. One immediate focus of the battles on Wednesday was the Russian-held village of Robotyne, but the mayor, major Ukrainian objectives are the heavily fortified city of Tokmak and beyond, Melitspol near the coast. Melit Pol's liberation could cut Russian forces on the southern front in two and isolate occupied Crimea. Crimea. This is the big test, the New York Times quoted a senior U.S. official saying, Ukrainian commanders were reported to be trying to seize a moment of opportunity after weeks of wearing down Russian defenses in Zaporizhia and bombarding Russian ammunition stores and logistic hubs behind the front lines. The sacking of a Russian commander in the region, Majgen Ivan Popov, after his criticism of a military leadership, also added to the sense that there, this may be a moment of Russian vulnerability in the area. At the same time, Ukrainian forces have maintained an offensive around the Donetsk region, a town of Bakhmut, where three months ago Russian claimed victory in a month-long and bloody battle for the devastated city. In recent days, Ukrainian troops were reported to have taken the village of Andrivka to be an advancing around the village of Klishchikvka, about four miles to the south, occupying important high ground and forest nearby. Ukraine is attempting a partial encirclement of Bakhmut, pushing from the north and south to threaten Russian forces within. A senior of Ukrainian officials said every available weapon system was being used in the battles, including recently supplied U.S. cluster munitions. The Institute for the Study of War, a Washington-based think tank, described the claimed Ukrainian gains as tactically significant, and some Russian military bloggers appeared to confirm Ukraine's progress. The advance, if confirmed, would bring Ukraine's forces closer to the important T-053 highway, the north-south route that runs through the city. The ongoing fight for Bakhmut, where there has been continuous combat since early last summer, has underlined Russia's fragile hold on the city and surrounding countryside since it emerged as an objective as its advance towards the eastern city of Slovyansk and Karmotorsk faltered. Throwing large numbers of troops into the fighting, spearheaded by forces from private Wagner paramilitary, Moscow claimed a tentative victory in May after taking heavy losses in its effort to take Bakhmut, with Ukrainian officials saying their defense tactics had been designed to wear down Russian forces. Russia has intensified its attack no far farther north in the area of Krimina and Lyman, which analysts believe may be designed to relieve pressure to the south by drawing troops to that sector. 
since Kyiv launched its counteroffensive across the country this summer. Officials have insisted that they have been advancing carefully but as to limit Ukrainian casualties. The Deputy Defense Minister Hanna Maliar claimed earlier this week that Russian forces were sustaining losses at significantly higher rate in the eastern battles. This may be explained by the heavy use of U.S. supplied cluster munitions in the recent fight as Russia initially attempted to bring forward reserves. The previously slow pace the Ukraine's gains eight weeks into its counteroffensive has promoted some skepticism over whether Kyiv will be able to achieve a breakthrough as has confronted Russia's well-prepared fences, including barrier minefields that are 10 miles deep in some places. Wow. That's scary as hell. 10 miles worth of minefields. A leaked German intelligence report that emerged on Tuesday reportedly claimed the counteroffensives had hampered by the promotion of Ukrainian soldiers with battlefield experience over those who had been NATO trained, leading to considerably deficiencies in leadership and tactics on the ground. The Ukrainian armed forces had not responded to claims reported by Bild. One UK defense source disputed the German assessment, telling the London Telegraph they, the Ukrainians, certainly have plenty of problems, but I don't think the Germans' accusation is one of them. Since the decision by Washington to agree to supply Ukraine with cluster munitions, despite them being banned by a majority of countries, Ukraine has begun using the weapons more heavily against Russian defensive positions. So, even though some people might die later from duds, hopefully they'll actually be in Ukraine when they die instead of in Russia-occupied Ukraine, which is the whole point of allowing them to use the cluster munitions to make sure Ukraine is still a country in 10 years. <laughs> so, we need cluster our big, bombs huge because, update. Yeah. We need cluster bombs because they have landmines. Yeah. Mm. They're not playing fair, so why should we? And Sinead O'Connor has died at the age of 56. Uh, cause of death unexplained yet, um, but uh, we're going to vindicate her today a little bit. This is Roya Carroll, the Ireland correspondent for The Guardian. Sinead O'Connor has died at the age of 56, prompted, and by the way, there is a 56 club. The 56 club is bigger than the 27 club, although the 27 club has a lot of big names. Yeah. That's why it's the most famous. Sinead O'Connor has died at the age of 56, prompting a grief in tributes for a singer who enchanted and at times shocked the world. O'Connor's family issued a brief statement on Wednesday evening announcing that the death of an artist and activist who remained in the spotlight often against her wishes after topping the charts in 1990 with the single, Nothing Compared to You. It is a great sadness that we announced the pressing of our beloved Sinead, the statement said. Her family and friends are devastated and have requested privacy at this very difficult time. The singer's death came 18 months after her 17-year-old son, Shane, died after leaving the hospital while on suicide watch. O'Connor had three other children. The news stunned the music industry in O'Connor's native Ireland. The Tayoasich Leo Vara Varadkar expressed sorrow. Her, mu her music was loved around the world and her talent was unmatched beyond compare. Condolences to her family, her friends, and all who loved their music. Michael Martin, the Deputy Prime Minister 
said, Ireland has lost one of its great music icons. Our heart goes out to her children, her family, her friends, and all who knew and loved her. Colm O'Gorman, the executive director of Amnesty International Ireland, said few artists had made such a social and cultural impact. What a loss. Heartfelt condolences to her children, her family, and all who loved her. Fatshna O'Kale, who managed O'Connor from 1986 to 1990 and later years, said she blazed the trail for other female artists. It wasn't just that she was unique looking, her willingness to speak what she believed to be the truth forged a new path for women in the music industry to be close to her true selves they could possibly be. O'Kale said the singer struggled with her success after 1990. When people are catapulted into the public arena, particularly at such a young age, it can have a devastating impact. It gave her a huge platform, but that carried maybe overwhelming responsibility and I'm not too sure that she was able to cope with that. It's important for artists to realize that all, all that glitters is not gold. Her life and times were a terrible manifestation of that. After adjusting conventional stardom for most of her career, some never forgave her for ripping up a picture of Pope John Paul. Well, some they never forgave her. Name one. Yeah, there are people who are literally like, oh, who cares? Ugh. Okay. Okay, but this guy's editorializing. That, that dead Pope guy. Yeah. The doubler. Yeah. Well, she tore she tore a picture of Pope John Paul II after performing on Saturday Night Live in 1992. The doubler had enjoyed something of a renaissance in recent years. Earlier this year, she received the inaugural award and a standing ovation for a classical Irish album at the RTE Choice Music Prize Awards. She dedicated it to Ireland's refugee community. Very welcome in Ireland, she said. I love you very much. I wish you happiness. In 2022 documentary, Nothing Compares, chronicled O'Connor's fearless denunciations of the Catholic Church, the Irish Constitution, the Grammys, the American National Anthem, and other targets that left her demonized. It portrayed her as a woman ahead of her time and outspoken and proto Me Too statements and given a voice to the vulnerable and voiceless people. In 2021, she published a memoir, Rememberings, detailing a childhood abuse she suffered at the hands of her mother, who died in a car accident in 1985, as well as her troubled school years, kleptomania, pop stardom, breakup, and mental ill health. Born in South Dublin in 1966, O'Connor's debut Germany nominated, sorry, Grammy. It wasn't Germany nominated, it was Grammy. Grammy. <laughs> Grammy nominated album. The Lion and the Cobra was released in 1987. She catapulted to fame with a haunting cover version of Prince's Nothing Compares to You, which sold millions of copies. The music video has been viewed on YouTube more than 400 million times, which seems low. <laughs> she yeah. became just as well known for her shaved head and outspoken views. Ripping up a picture of the Pope created a huge backlash. There were threats and radio boycotts. Frank Sinatra wished to kick her ass. Frank Sinatra, who famously was not too pissed off when JFK was assassinated, was pissed off at this. Anyway, many considered that O'Connor was vindicated by subsequent revelations about Vatican cover-ups of sexual abuse scandals. She released 10 studio albums, many of them experimental and non-commercial. 
O'Connor told the U.S. Magazine in 2000 that she was a lesbian. Religion and spirituality marked her life. On the back of her hand was tattooed, The Lion of Judah shall break every chain. And on her chest was a large Jesus tattoo. On her neck was all things must pass. Another biblical quote, or she could have just been quoting George Harrison. In 1990s, she was ordained as a priest by a bishop from an independent Catholic group and said she wanted to be known as Mother Bernadette Mary. In 2018, she converted to Islam and changed her name to Shahada, but continued performing under her original name. She experienced mental and physical health problems, which chronicled in social media posts and interviews. Uh, I used to follow her on Facebook, like Facebook was no, and she would be on there threatening suicide almost on a daily basis. And it was kind of scary. I was like, I really wish you could stop doing that. Uh, she was having very public fights with celebrities on Facebook, yes. She, um, I hope you appreciate this article. Okay, that was the end of the article. I just wanted to add that, uh, I guess, she was right. <laughs> uh, famously, uh, the Bob Dylan concert, the 30-year concert, she was, uh, she was booed before she could start singing. So instead, she chanted the uh, lyrics to Bob Marley's song. And uh, she never got to finish her Bob Dylan song, but the song she was going to sing was called I Believe in You. And Bob Dylan, when he released the compilation with the album for the concert, since Sinead O'Connor, um, since her performance was not on the concert, he put her rehearsal music on the CD. So. Okay. I know Bob Dylan appreciated her anyway. Good. I mean, I've never thought anything bad about her because... Well, if you want to listen as, to something As good. you always know, the person yeah. who gets angry at the establishment is probably more of a believer than you are. Oh, yeah. She, the song I Believe in You is about God. <laughs> a dedicated Catholic, and which is why she was angry that, you know, a bunch of priests were molesting kids. Oh. Like, hello? I could... I could read 10 articles about different articles about orphanages in Ireland abusing children. And that's why <laughs> she many. was vindicated. Yeah. Yep. Okay. In uh, eugenics news, this is from Angelina Giofrida in Rome. The Italian parliament has approved a bill criminalizing people who go abroad to have children via surrogacy. A measure described as a disgrace. Okay. The bill passed in the Chamber of Deputies with 166 votes in support and 109 against is aimed only at Italians and envisages fines up to 1 million euros or 856 pounds, 8,000 pounds, and a jail terms up to two years for those who break it. Surrogacy is already illegal in Italy, while IVF is only available for heterosexual couples. Extending the ban to include surrogacy overseas was a flagship policy of Brothers of Italy, the party led by the Prime Minister Giorgio Maloney, and also her far-right counterpart and coalition partner, The League. The measure needs approval in the Italian Senate before being passed into law. 
Eugenia Rossella, the family's minister who took part in a flash mob demonstration outside the parliament supporting the bill, said, Today is important as it puts Italy at the forefront of the defense of women and children at an international level. We hope this vote will open a global debate on this practice in order to arrive at its abolition. The vast majority of Italians who seek surrogacy abroad are believed to be heterosexual, with many undertaking the practice in secret. However, Maloney's government has come down hard on same-sex parents, including forcing local authorities to stop registering their children. Her government has criticized for working on policies that are easier to adopt rather than tackling bigger issues facing Italy. It is evident to everyone that this is legal disgrace and a great weapon of mass dis distraction, deployed at a time when Italy is burning in the south and undergoing unprecedented storms in the north, says Alessandro Zahn, a deputy with the center-left Democratic Party. Regard Riccardo Maggi, the leader of the small left-wing party PU, Europa, said the measure puts Italy at odds with other sovereign countries, as no European citizen can be convicted of an action that is not a crime either in the country where it is committed or under international treaties. Italy's LGBT community has feared that the rights attained so far would be eroded by Maloney's government, which took power in October. A common Feature of rabble-rousing pre-election speeches given by Maloney, a self-described Christian mother, okay, was the reiteration of her view that a child should only be raised by heterosexual parents. She has also spoken out against gender ideology and LGBT lobbies. So, yet again, all the straight people are being hurt by laws that are focused on a very small community of people, right? The world is not 90% homosexual, it's 90% heterosexual and who is actually going to be affected by circusy bans the straight couples who are like i can have children or i uh, i need somebody else to have my eggs in their body nope uh, no longer allowed because wow i don't know who needs population growth europe europe is already going a nosedive down so let's just keep not make it hard for people to have children because we'll just, you know, it's fine. We'll just hire immigrants because as we know, Maloney loves immigrants coming into Italy. Really terrible. I, I really hope uh, after this fantastic government, Italian government, the Italian people will vote somebody in that isn't Maloney because this is just awful to read about. Which is ironic, a hundred years ago in America, the Italians were victims of xenophobia. And yeah. It's just ironic to watch them practicing at full scale. You know, just like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. You're not like us. <laughs> we need everybody identical, thinking the same, acting the same, everybody having the same sexual preferences because, oh boy, we all need to be the same. <laughs> but that's what we're all about. Sooner. Uh-huh. So fascism, fascism, and more fascism. All right. So That's it. is it my Tell turn? Story. Yeah. Okay. So in more cruelty news. Okay. Let's get my reading pane on. So I don't look at pictures. Oops. What the heck? Okay. All right. Okay. This is from AP by Nicole Winfield in Vatican City. AP. This is... A recent story, this is updated at 2 a.m. today, so don't think I'm just grabbing this headline because Sinead O'Connor died. It's just a coincidence. Portugal is starting the atoning process for clergy sex abuse. Here's what other countries have done. Okay, while the Catholic Church is in the 
While the Catholic Church in the U.S., Australia, and some other countries began coming to terms with their clergy sex abuse legacies years and years ago and set up mechanisms to compensate victims, the hierarchy of Portugal has only recently offered an account and, bung and bungled its initial response to victims. Oh boy. Pope Francis will meet with abuse survivors during his upcoming trip to Lisbon for World Youth Day and will likely hear complaints that the Portuguese hierarchy initially refused or entertained compensation options for victims outside court. Here's a look at the countries that have articulated plans for providing financial reparations to victims beyond judge, legal judgments and our settlements. Let's list them off. We have Germany. Germany, German church has been making voluntary payments to abuse survivors for over a decade, though the amounts offered haven't satisfied groups representing victims. The system that took effect in 2021 provided for payments of up to 50,000 euros per victim, replacing a previous program under which payments averaged 5,000 euros. So tenfold. Pressure for higher payments is increased by a court's ruling in mid-June that the Cologne Archdiocese must pay 300,000 euros in compensation to a former altar boy who was repeatedly abused by priests in the 1970s. An independent payment set setting body that decides on claims subsequently said that it expects Cologne ruling, if it stands at the end of the legal process, to have an influence over the financial payment network for framework for its own decisions. Under the church programs, abuse survivors are advised to contact independent commissioners for individual diocese or orders who can help them fill out an a application for which they then forward to the decision-making body that sets the payments. According to the commissioner's annual report for the last year, it approved 1,809 applications with a total value of 40.1 million euros in 21 and 22. Taking into account the deductions for previous payments, that means a total payout of 32.9 million euros. The system allows for payments above 50,000 euros in particularly severe hardship cases. And its first two years, I love to be the guy deciding this. Well, you were molested, but not molested enough. How about 30,000? Okay. Survivors can file objections to the panel's decisions. Let me know when you have physical, physical, like, uh, torture yeah. happening, and then, then we'll give you more money, okay? Let me know when you're ready to jump off a bridge. We might, we might be able to talk then. A church commission report, okay. A church commission report in 2018 concluded that at least 3,677 3, people were abused by clergy in Germany between 46 and 2014. In France, the French Bishops' Conference created an independent body to assess claims reparation victims after a church commission report in 21 estimated that some 330,000 children in France have been sexually abused by church personnel over 70 years. 70 years! These are people living, having kids, or kids have kids. The Bishops' Conference launched a solidarity fund to help pay the compensation, which in 2022 re reported had raised 20 million in euros. The independent review body known as the Independent National Authority for Recognition and Reparation, or the INIRR handles claims of abuse by diocese priests and personnel reported in March that more than 1,180 victims had come forward to claim compensation, four and four of whom had received support while the rest were waiting for the classes to be examined. INIRR, INRR chief 
Maria Dairene de Vaucresson has acknowledged delays in processing the cases. At a briefing in March, that really funny name said 80,000% of the sums granted so far have topped 20,000 euros, including 40 people who received the maximum amount at 60,000 euros. Separate mechanism, the Recognition of Reparations Commission, which is the RRC, receives the claims by victims and members of the religious orders. In its 2022 report, the commission said it had reviewed 277 claims and decided 112 warranted compensation has paid 1.6 million euros to date with an average payout of 37,000 euros. The United States with its little secret little child molestation ring. After the abuse scandal exploded publicly in the U.S. in 2002, the Boston Globe Spotlight investigation, U.S. bishops drafted a zero tolerance policy for abusers and comprehensive child protection policies that are now considered a global standard by the Vatican. Decisions about compensation are far less unified. That's why, because the compensation is much lower. That's why it's the model. Decisions about compensation are far less unified, crafted by individual dioceses and religious orders and pale in comparison to the enormous costs the other church has paid out as a result of losses and settlements. According to U.S. Bishop's 22 annual report, U.S. Diocese spent $9.5 million last year in settlements and $6.3 million in other compensation to victims. That is pathetic compared to Germany and France. Uh, $30 million in settlements and 530,000 other forms of compensation last year. Okay, weren't we just talking in the millions for these smaller countries? <laughs> the United States, people, maybe. The United States has more people by far than France. No, and Germany. I mean, they had more victims. No, it's just saying it's per victim. Oh, okay. Well, well that's what it's saying. It's, it's, it's saying right here, it says considered. Decision about or from the and the uh, they pale in comparisons with the enormous costs the church has paid a result of other lawsuits. Yeah, so they're but, they are uh, paying, paying paying off people cheaper. Yeah, I guess according to U.S. bishops, spent ninety four five million in settlements and, blah, 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 blah. since two thousand fourteen the combined payouts of victims via settlements compensation is one point four billion. That's more like it. There you go. There you go. Like <laughs> four billion. There you go. Right. Australia, Australia's Royal Commission, the highest form, and they have had four thousand four. It's a smaller population. Four thousand four hundred forty four people reported they had been abused by more than a thousand Catholic institutions across Australia. Among the report's key recommendations are creation of a national redress mechanism for victims, which compensates victims of all institutional abuse, not just Catholic. It was reported in 19, on July 14th that 12,144 payments have been made, totaling 1 billion Australian dollars, or $727 million of Americans. So Australia is really doling out the cash, too. Spain. In Portugal, Spain's Catholic Church is a relative newcomer to recognize with abuse legacy, as in Portugal. Some 927 victims identified 729 abusers. Man, it's almost a one-to-one -one ratio. In the church since 1945, there was no uniform policy for compensating victims. Its most recent update to its norms for handling cases, Spain's Catholic Bishops Conference said that it made that individuals 
bishops may propose compensation if those are responsible for causing that. Well, it seems like Spain is dragging their feet. No real numbers. Poland? Is Poland dragging their feet? Poland's Catholic Church is also a reluctant newcomer to atoning for abuse after devastating television documentaries showing the scope of abuse and coverage in the Polish cover-up in the Polish Church. The Polish Bishops Conference created the St. Joseph's Foundation to support people harmed by sexual abuse. So, while they're worried about telling every homosexual in the world that they're wrong, they are covertly performing, well, several homosexual acts on children among, of course, heterosexual sex acts on children, too. But, yeah. Nominally, it's going to be men doing this. So, just by sheer weight of evidence of history of mankind, it's yeah. men. <laughs> okay, I mean, story. If this, this is just the people that are alive right now. Oh, right? yeah. I can say, uh, hey, 70. so who... That's 70 years of worth of... If, if it was 70 years, why not 100 years? 200 years. There's probably um, billions of victims out there. I know I know a friend whose father had to beat up a priest because he was mm -hmm. trying to sexually abuse him. And that was in the 40s, you know? Uh, the 40s, I read a book for English actually, class. That was probably like the 30s or some shit. Like. <laughs> I, read, I read a book called The Monk from... Uh, from an English class in college and was translated from French. It was written probably in the 1500s. It was about sex abuse in the Catholic Church. Yeah. That shit's been, like, how how can you be a person who follows a religion that specifically says don't be a pedophile and still be a pedophile? Crazy to me. And, and then shun gay people. Yeah. Like, they're, they're heretics. And, and why do yeah. they shun gay people? Because they're pedophiles, supposedly. Yeah, you're obviously a pedophile because you're gay. But the were in the church already. They weren't the gay people. They're already here. Now, uh, let's not let's not let the Southern Baptists off the hook either, because they got the same set skin, the same stuff. Seventy years of covering stuff up, at least, at least. But yeah. Well, in a convenient rumors. segue into They're my rumors. story, into my culture story. Speaking of sexual scandals, Kevin Spacey has been cleared. Of sexually assaulting four men. This is from Emin Sinmaz on The Guardian. Kevin Spacey wept and said he was humbled after being cleared of sexual assault in one of the UK's most high-profile Me Too trials. The 64-year-old Oscar-winning actor sobbed in the, in the dock and was just found not guilty. He was found not guilty on Wednesday of sexually assaulting four men after a four-week trial at Southwark Crown Court. Wearing a dark suit pink shirt and burgundy pocket square and tie, Spacey looked at his legal team as jurors cleared him of nine sexual offense against four men. He, as he stood in the dock on his 64th birthday, the Hollywood star put his hand on his chest, looked at the jurors and mouthed, thank you, thank you. The judge, Mr. Judges Justice Mark Wall, praised the lawyers in the case and said, the defendant may be discharged. Speaking outside the South London court, Spacey thanked the jury who reached a verdict following 12 hours and 26 minutes of deliberating and after being given a majority of direction by the judge. I imagine that many of you can understand that there is a lot for me to process after what has just happened today, he said. But I would like to say that I am enormously grateful to the jury for having taken the time to examine all of the evidence, all the facts, carefully before they reached their decision, and I am humbled by the outcome today. 
I also want to thank the staff inside the courthouse, the security, and all those who take care of us every single day, my legal team, for being here every day. Basie also thanked Evan Lowstein, his business partner and manager, and Lowstein's British wife, Lucy, who attended the trial each day. Before Spacey's tearful speech, jurors had waited outside the courthouse for him to emerge. Lowstein, a 49-year-old former pop star, shook hands with two of the jurors. One could be heard telling him, well done. Lowstein and five jurors then went back inside of the court's foyer, where they were joined by Spacey. The actor, who was seen crossing his hands on his chest, bowing and weeping as if thank you to the jurors, jurors. Spacey hugged and kissed two security guards on the cheek before leaving the court. Fans gathered outside the court and shouted, We love you, Kevin! as he got into a taxi to leave. The actor, who stood trial under his full name, Kevin Spacey Fowler, was found not guilty of nine sexual offenses against four men in their 20s and 30s between 2004 and 2013. He had denied these charges, claiming the allegations against him were madness, absolute bollocks, and a stab in the back. He claimed the men who financially mo- the he claimed the men were financially motivated and that one was after money, money, and then money. He had the prosecutor, Christine Agnew Casey, had accused Basie of being a sexual bully, who exploited his fame and power to abuse the, the clients. Jurors rejected the prosecution claim that Spacey had aggressively grabbed three men by the crotch and had performed a sex act on an inspiring actor while he was asleep in his flat. Spacey told the court that he had consensual sexual encounters with the driver and the aspiring actor, that he may have made a clumsy pass at a man at a party in Cotswolds, but he rejected claims that he had grabbed a man's crotch like a cobra at the West End Theater in the mid-2000s, telling jurors it never happened. In his evidence, Spacey gave jurors an insight into his relationship with famous faces and names, dropped fellow actors including Jack Lemmon, Val Kilmer, Richard Harris, and Joan Collins. He also recounted showbiz anecdotes, including buying Jamie Doo De- Dame Judy Dench a ping pong table and buying the most expensive Mini Cooper ever at a charity auction hosted by Elton John. John and his husband, husband David Furnish, were called as defense witnesses in the trial. Basie had previously denied 12 charges, 7 sexual assaults, 3 indecent assaults, and 1 count of causing a person to engage in sexual activity without consent, and 1 count of causing a person to engage in penetrative sexual activity without consent. A further charge of indecent assault was added mid-trial, taking, taking to 13 of the total number of alleged offenses listed on the indictment. Last Wednesday, the four indi- indi- indecent assault charges were struck off by the judge, because of a legal technicality. The court no. heard of the two of the complaints in the case were pursuing oh, the court heard that two of the complaints in the case were pursuing Spacey in civil courts. So they didn't win their criminal court, but they may still be um, trying to get him in civil court. I don't know under what claim because I'm not a lawyer, so I don't know what you can claim under civil court for non-criminal things that may have occurred. Uh, in these interactions with Kevin Spacey, but he, for now, is an innocent man, and no one can no longer tell jokes about him being a sexual assaulter because he's been because you, not yeah, guilty. Yeah. Unless, I, these, I don't know, These something people else in court happens. were found to be money grubbers, in other yeah. words. One of that, the many yeah, well, low, 
low chances I'm, that they can, this can happen, by the way. I, I, I was always a little spotty on the accusations. He did what now? He was rude to people? Wow. You know, he I'm may, like, he okay, may have, been, you know? have been a little too excited when hitting on people is what yeah. it sounds like. And he's awkward socially like, when, yeah, yeah, he's Kevin Spacey and he's a little creepy, creeps people out. That's always been his deal. That's like his, that's his shtick. Creepy Kevin Spacey, you know? You know, and of course he's Kaiser Soze. Don't forget that. If you haven't seen oh, that spoiler movie, spoiler for anybody who's never seen. I, I was like, it's like don't fuck with Kaiser Soze. Of course, it's the second Glenn Gary Glenn Ross not guilty verdict or stuff getting thrown out because Alec Baldwin was his case was never pursued because he <laughs> basically didn't do anything illegal. But they were trying to prosecute him because he's famously liberal. Yeah. They were trying to, oh, we're going to prosecute you because you're liberal and you got a gun and it's not supposed to be loaded. So, yeah, anyway, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, always be closing. You know, ABC, always be closing. You ever see Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross? No. Got to watch it. Jack Lemon, Alec Baldwin, Kevin Spacey, who else? I'll tell you, man. Hold this cast. Check out this cast. I'm bringing a sidebar on this baby. <laughs> Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, go watch it. It's about real estate, cutthroat real estate. Al Pacino, Jack Lemmon, Alec Baldwin, Alan Arkin, who recently died, by the way. Okay. Ed Harris, Ed Harris, another great actor. Kevin Spacey. Um, and that's just like the top six. I mean, a lot of these people are known, but damn, that's a, that's a cast. Anyway. All right. On this it's day in history. <laughs> I almost sounded like Christopher Walken there. That's a cast. Christopher Walken. That's a cast. 12, 14 at the Battle of Bovines. Bovines. It wasn't a battle of cows, but it was the Battle of Bovines. French King, King Philip II defeated an international coalition led by the Holy Roman Emperor Otto IV. And they were riding cows. That's why it was called the Battle of Bovines. Just kidding. 1794, Antoine Christophe Merlin and other conspirators initiated the Thermordian reaction revolt that ultimately resulted in the fall of Maximilien de Robespierre and the end of the reign of terror during the French Revolution. That's a lot of things that you have to look up, like that are one, two, three hyperlinks <laughs> that I would have to look up. In 1830, the July Revolution began in France, leading to the abdication of Charles X and bringing Louis-Philippe to the throne. Why was France still having a king after the French Revolution? Somebody tell me. 1909, the first military airplane completed one of its first qualifying flights for the sale to U.S. Army Signal Corps by Wilburn and Orville Wright. 1919, the Chicago race riot was ignited after a young black man was stoned and drowned in Lake Michigan for swimming in an area reserved for whites. Oh, you see, Mississippi wasn't the only ones that completely full of shit. In 1940, Warner Brothers released the Looney Tunes animated short film, Wild Hair, featuring the debut of Bugs Bunny. So happy birthday to Bugs Bunny. Bugs Bunny is now 83. Say what? Embryonic versions of the character appeared in earlier cartoons. So I guess it really isn't his birthday. 1946, okay. avant-garde writer Gertrude Stein, whose Paris home was a salon for leading art artists, died at the age of 72. 
1953, the Armistice Agreement ending the Korean War was signed at Panmunjom in Central Korea. In 2003, British-born American entertainer Bob Hope died at the age of 100. You want to talk about nailing it, 100. 2017, American playwright actor Sam Shepard died at the age of 73. He had lived another 27 years. He would have done the same thing as Bob Hope. Just, just short. Just that much short. 1996 is our featured event. Terrorist attack in 1996 in the Atlanta Olympics. On this day, a pipe bomb exploded in Olymp Olympic Centennial Park in Atlanta, Georgia, killing one person and injuring 11 in the first terrorist attack at the Olympics since 1972 Munich Games. And today's birthday. It is the birthday of Charlotte Corday, French noble. It is also the birthday of Jordan Spieth, who was born this way in 1993. And it's an American golfer. Uh, sorry, uh, Charlotte Corday was born on this day in 1768. Alex Rodriguez, American baseball player, was born in 1975. In 1938, Ernest Gray, Gay Gygax, American entrepreneur, took his first breath. In 1922, Norman Lear, who is still alive, American producer and director, 1922, happy 101 to Norman Lear, creator of All in the Family, Maud, The Jeffersons. Yeah, very, very, very influential person in American culture. Eight, 1768, we already covered that. And what day is it? What day is it? Do you want to know? Yes. I know you're curious. It's National Intern Day, so modern day slavery lives on <laughs> in National Intern Day. Hey, you're goddamn interns. <laughs> it's National Creme Brulee Day, so a very, very high caloric content dessert that will get you going. And if that doesn't get you going, it's National Scotch Day. Then <laughs> <laughs> that'll get you going. National Love is Kind Day. So after you have a few scotch, you go to your best buddy and you go, you know, I love you, man. You're the <laughs> best. You're the best guy ever lived. <laughs> National Chili Dog Day. So do not combine Chili Dog Day and Scotch Day. Do not. Do not. And it's National Jer Jersey Day and National Refreshment Day. And it's National Korean War Veterans Armistice Day, which is too long to say. Let's just say National Korean War and Veterans Day because the Korean War ended on this day, 1953. And it exactly 70 years ago, the Korean War ended. So you're... Or at least, or at least the, uh, the, the fighting stopped because they're technically still in wartime, which is oh, why yeah. they have forced enlistment, so. <laughs> the end of hostilities, seven end years ago today. Yeah. And and today, and I story I didn't cover, Russia's meeting with Kim Jong-un because hey. they need friends so bad. Okay. All right. Let's go ahead and end today's show. This has been Allison here getting ready to go make a creme brulee because I love me some creme brulee. Ever since they talked about it in High School Musical, I was like, what is that? I must have one. And then I never stopped. And we will see you tomorrow on Friday to clinch up this week with some hopefully better news. <laughs>
And this is Roger saying goodbye, and I'm not getting it scotch today, but I might, I probably won't get a chili dog either because I do enjoy not being sick. Thank you. And July 27th, 2023 edition of the Comprehensive News of Planet Earth on Four Coffee. Be sure to hit the like, subscribe, and notify buttons, and follow other channels, Toxic Alley, History of Gravy, and Scratchy Old Records.